Listener Production. Shares, Market. The S&P. The ISX. Stocks. This is the Motley Fool Money Mailbag. Welcome to Motley Fool Money, our very special Sunday mailbag edition. It is all of those things, as it always is, and ever more special, because I'm joined by the straw man himself, the man of straw, the hay person, the, I don't know what else is there, silage human, I don't know, I'm running out of things now, Andrew Page. How are you, mate? <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty good, how's things? I'm going, I'm going with, you know, sort of, you know, similes for, for straw, and, and then man, and trying to, you know, like, join those together. Yeah, we'll workshop so it, we'll workshop it later. Yeah. It uh, couldn't possibly work, could it? I just have to make fun of you, I mean, after the guy with no brain and the Wizard of Oz, and then we're pretty much done at that point, aren't we? <laughs> Wasn't that, is that the case? Uh, yeah, yeah. Look, I mean, if, the if I had my time, the scarecrow, the scarecrow, the scarecrow. Yeah, yeah. Go on. Uh, well, look, look. The original look. <laughs> unnecessary segue <laughs> to start it off, but the whole premise really was that I I wanted somewhere where it wasn't just an echo chamber of mutually re- 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 reinforcing sort of beliefs. Like yeah. the I, I say it a lot, but it's just like my fundamental belief is that the mm. best way to improve an investment idea is to challenge it. So it's sort of like, mm. here's an argument, knock it down. Now, that's not a straw man fallacy. That's, so it's a, mis- it's a bastardization of, of the yeah, term. Yeah. But it was also a URL that was uh, available. <laughs> it was also easy to remember. So, you know, you kind of think- There you oh, go. And it's, it's working. Good. Uh, it's well, working. You know, once it's stuck, it's stuck, right? So exactly. it's sort of like, it's what it is. The business is now turning over a billion dollars. You're driving a Tesla. Everything is good. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> I'm just, I am still curious what it is though. It's uh, it's not something that makes a billion dollars. I tell you that right. much. Okay. I've lamented to you off air. If I really wanted, if this was about making money, I would just sell easy answers to hard problems. And <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's yeah. how you make money in this industry. Providing... Provide, here you go. I'll give you a, a layup. Providing a nuanced uh, perspective <laughs> is not is not easy an easy one to market. This is one of the very first times you didn't mention it was a private only investment club, so I'll do it for you. Oh, you um, this is one of the very first times you, I've given you a, a, a heads up. Uh, Andrew's very good sport, by the way, listeners, because generally speaking. I come to the podcast. I kind of try and find the questions I've got to deal with. Uh, I try and answer those questions as well as I possibly can, uh, and then I throw them at him as he's never seen them before. So I always get a, I always get a bit of a um, an extra insight into the question before Andrew gets them. But I did mention this time the first question slash comment that we got from Nathan, who uh, who messaged me on Facebook. He said, "Hi Scott, I hope you're well. I've got a new game for the podcast." It's been put to bed for a while now since Kogan has come back to reality, but the new game is every time Rampage says nuance, he has to drink. <laughs> and so, of course, Andrew has done us a favour and thrown into the original opening. Well done, mate. Thank you very I, much for I that. I do overuse that term. I do. I did reply. Oh, we all do. Uh, apparently, I say by definition too much, and apparently there's isn't always by definition when I say by definition. So uh, it's, uh, it's we're good all- to have it, It's talking. good to have it pointed out because you, a lot of these things <laughs> you're not true. aware of. I was, a very guil- I was very guilty. Uh, this is all going back a long way, but I, I would mm. say literally all the time. So one of my yeah. pet hates at this point because everything, oh, it's, you know, I don't think people really understand. It's literally annoying. What literally means. <laughs> <laughs> you mean as so, opposed to metaphorically, yeah. Yeah, yeah. you know. Um, so it's good, it's good to have these things pointed out. Okay. Okay, now I'll now I'll I'm aware of it. Oh, so funny! I um, relentlessly I, about self improvement here, Scott. You know, there me. you go. Oh, it's all about that. <laughs> I uh, I always, I used to say fundamentally a lot. I think I still do. Uh, oh, yeah, but yeah. fundamentally, no, fundamentally, this is the situation. Like, well, we know we get it. It's just unnecessary verbiage, which I tend to throw in, but I will I will also try not to. So put, putting worst- the putting the mental into fundamental. <laughs> 
Or maybe putting the fun in the fundamental. Oh, yeah, yeah. You got both, maybe. It's both. Um, so look, that's the uh, that's the reality of, of the situation that we find ourselves in. Um, now we're going to have people just messaging us all over the joint, talking about uh, talking about what we say and don't say, and how they wish the podcast was like fifteen minutes long rather than whatever length we end up doing this today. Uh, mate, I, I did say, uh, and it's a, in response to Nathan, I said, and the podcast will be shorter if he's drinking that much. To which Nathan says, "Just mention Bitcoin. It'll go for three hours per episode. <laughs> if you're li- three hours if you're lucky. <laughs> that's, that's the first half of the episode. Anyway, Nathan, love it, love it, mate. Thank you for uh, thank you for the the, the humour. As always, Ram, thank you for taking it in in the good humour uh, to which it's uh, it's it's intended, mate. Um, speaking of comments, we actually got another one from Alec. Uh, he says, "Hi Scott Ram, I'm a big fan of the pod. Well, I've only been listening since last October." I've recently started listening to your older mailbag episodes as I find value in the way you answer listener questions with both yourself and Andrew's differing opinions. I just listened to a pod from the 12th of June, 2022, and a writer asked about holding their money for 12 months instead of dollar cost averaging due to the negative outlook on the market and the high bank interest rates. Your advice was to continue to dollar cost average as you never know what the market will do. Apparently, well, here you go. He said, and stated you would come back to this date and check the results. He then says, surely you have forgotten. Yes, I had. Thank you, yep. Alec. <laughs> thanks, for, <laughs> thanks for reminding me of my failures in, in, in keeping with the thing. I, I can't remember so what we said last week, let alone a year ago. Tell me about it. I, I did a video recently for one of our services. and so, so, Did you mention a stock? Oh, I don't know. Which one did you mention? I don't know. It was like a week ago. No idea. Anyway, he says, surely have you forgotten. You have forgotten. But I thought I would share that the ASX 200 is up 9.5% to the time of my listening, about 12 months and 10 days from your recording date. I know this means nothing over the long term, just thought it was nice to point out. Keep up the rants. Thanks for your time educating and entertaining, Alec. And I just thought that was really useful, mate, because I, like I'd, I'd forgotten I said it. Uh, I mean, I, I've not forgotten I said dollar cost average. If I didn't, you could shoot me. That's what I say all the time. But um, 9.5% gain. Uh, by the way, Alex data almost certainly doesn't include dividends. So if you took average ASX ETF, you can probably add three and a half, four percent to that, mate, I yep. would guess. Yep. So probably, probably 12, call it 12% for fun. Um, 12% over that period. More than the average market, by the way, let alone um, up on the negative market sentiment that uh, that was being shared. Mm. Uh, any any thoughts on that, mate, as a, as a, as a piece of advice slash uh, reminder of what we said 12 months ago? Yeah, hindsight's twenty twenty. That's the lesson, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. you know, if I knew that the market was going to go up 13%, would have I given that advice? No, absolutely. Actually, you know what, what I would have done is I would have borrowed myself to the eyeballs, <laughs> leveraged up, and taken that 13% yeah. gain and turned it into much more. I mean, right. I don't that, – I mean – that's the point of dollar cost averaging. It starts Correct. from a, a, a pose of humility, mm-hmm. where, which is like, I don't know, right? I don't know, so I'm going to average in like that. Or what's your alternative? I'm going to time the market. Yeah. Well, you know, if people want to time the market, time the market, <laughs> right? Maybe you're the one in a, in a billion that can actually do it. Yeah. Good yeah. luck, right? Yeah. Uh, to be clear, if you want to time the market, don't time the market. Andrew was being facetious there for anyone who didn't pick up the tone there. Um, it, it's a very, very, very bad do, idea. But do you know what it is? Do you know what, it's like saying, it's like saying um, I should have put all my money on black. 
yeah. because it's spun up spun. black. Yeah, Why right. didn't I do that? Look, that person yeah. over there did it and they doubled yeah. their money and you didn't. And, yep. you know, it's, you know, or you and I just had a, a few rounds of Russian roulette and we both walked away. And it's like, so it obviously wasn't a bad idea. I mean, Correct. it's how my Correct. kids rationalize. Um, yep. So yep. I stand by that firmly oh, behind those comments. Mate, can I say, number of times I say, mate, don't do that. You won't, why hurt yourself? Does it? Looks, it looks really trifling. See, Dad, I told you. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Why don't you do it a hundred times and then to ha- come back to have an we'll- undeveloped yeah. frontal lobe would be wonderful, wouldn't it? Yep. <laughs> yes, I think that's right. Although yeah, Alex's point was just as he said, he he didn't know the future either. Uh, but just a reminder that even though the market looked bleak back then, the market is still up twelve or thirteen percent in the in the meantime. Which is a reminder that trying to trying to work on short term sentiment or expectations. He might have been right. He might have been wrong. Uh, I think my our advice would have been dollar cost average because we don't know. I guess that was just Alex's point that you know at that point, as as with many 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 points in the past, the perma bears tend to to lose badly, even if they have the occasional pyrrhic victory. Yeah, I mean, yeah, the, the, this is um, this is why we often say it's it's more about process than outcome. I think it's mm-hmm. it's about having a process that you can have some reasonable expectation that it'll work more than fifty percent <laughs> of the time. <laughs> like that's that's it, right? It's it's uh, it's it's as simple as, as that. Mm. Um, can I say this is the most? Things are really bearish out there. Anyone who's opened up any kind of yep. financial yep. publication, real. I mean, it is. We have inverted yield curves. We have everyone calling for recession. We have earnings like actual. Forget forget about share prices. Like the actual earnings on average of of most companies not doing doing that well at the moment. Mm-hmm. I mean, we've talked extensively about how retail is just getting knocked out of the park for six, or oh, in a bad yeah. way, right? Yeah. Yes. Um, um, and yet the market's like 5% away from an all-time record high. And yeah, the US right. has had this incredibly strong rally. It is, mm. it is really, really unusual. Um, so it goes to show you that there could have been someone a year ago who'd said, I think this is what the broader macro landscape how it's going. That's I think it's right. going to evolve in this way. That's right. And 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 therefore and then, right. and, and, and then so that, but therefore I'm sort of going to take a I don't know a short position or I'm going to sort of, you know position myself in, to take advantage of that of that right. negative outcome. Right. Well, the negative outcome happened, and yet the share market's up. Mm. You know, so it's sort of like you can be right and and still lose a whole bunch of of money on that. So you got to come back to the 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 humility side of things, and it rests really. I think. Um, you, you, I, I, the fundamental tenant, I think, of investing, well, at least for me, and I'm sure it is the same for you, is it's not about saying when things will happen, but the general direction in which things mm. tend to go. It tends to be a pretty good framework to sort of to work from. Of course, absolutely. I mean, you know, if I if if I if I could be more accurate in short-term forecasts of human sentiment, which is what market prices are, I would, <laughs> but I can't, so I don't. Yeah. Simple as that. I um yes, I think that's right. I think it's as you say, pro- the process. I, I will say a process that you have reason to believe will be successful. I've, you know, what's funny. I, I really hate sound like a politician, um, but you kind of because of the way people take some of the, what you say, either either honestly or or maybe a little bit dishonestly, and, and try and twist it and say, well, but didn't you say this? Like, we buy and hold was the same, right? We used to say, we're buy and hold investors, i.e. you buy and you, you hold, and that's what you're supposed to do. And then you sell something, someone says, I thought you were buy and hold. It's like, well, yeah, that's the approach. And then we go, well, let's call it buy to hold, because we're not mm-hmm. going to always hold it. Okay, we're going to have to change that, fine, let's do that. It's a bit the same with this sort of stuff, where you kind of go, you know, it's the process that matters, not the outcome. 
Doesn't the outcome matter? Well, yes, of course it matters. But my point is that the process, and so you end up having to try and qualify and describe, and and at one point you kind of think, you know what, I'm wasting my time here. I'm I'm responding only to the the, the cranks and the narcs and the negative nellies, and that's okay. But on the other hand, it is I think sometimes valuable because it does really give a more nuanced reply. Um, it's like Buffett's, you know, the the, the yeah, <laughs> Buffett's quote. Um, you have to be about that every time, aren't you? Buffett's mm-hmm. quote about you know rule number one: never lose money. Rule number two: don't forget rule number one. Oh, mis- you know? Most misquoted like, phrase right? ever, and that yeah. and that's exactly so. I think just just for what it's worth, you know, keep. I, I will come back to some. I say all the time, which is be roughly right, not precisely wrong. Yep. You know, yep. get the general direction right. It's kind of like this: the the old arc of progress thing, right? Things improve over time. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and if you genuinely believe, you talk about being five percent from an all time high. If you genuinely believe the capitalism's topped out, if we've hit, if, if capitalism peaked in 2021, 2022, never be as good again, then you know what? You really, really should think about whether you should be investing. That's mm-hmm. a really worthwhile thing to ask. Mm-hmm. If your view is. Actually, no, I think humans are going to keep finding ways to improve productivity, technology, population growth. You know, is the economy not going to be bigger and better in 10, 15? If it is, and if the AS, again, the ASX has always had, world markets, developed markets, have always had the cream of the commercial crop listed. Okay, so you've got the best companies in a growing economy, in a more productive, profitable economy. You can choose to bet against that if you want. You can choose to try and play funny buggers and, and, and guess the intermediate peaks and troughs. Or you can kind of go, hey, I reckon this thing's going to keep working because it has for the last 120 years. And by the way, more than that, I mean, we've had, we've had you know, stock markets for the last 120 years in the way we know them now. But business enterprises have been around for as long as, you know, it might not be the oldest profession, but it's probably the second oldest. <laughs> yes. um, you know, the, the, the reality of if I do this thing and I, someone pays me for this thing and I do it well, I will have a clientele and that will earn me some money. This is, this is, it's it's the industrial revolution. I mean, for all of the things that, again, capitalism is also not perfect. Don't at me about that either. But the reality of the long-term prospects of the system we're in, betting against that, even over the short term trying to guess, I don't know, mate, I really, 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 it's a mindset, I get it. It's, it's a psychology at some level. And some people are just born pessimistic and some people can only see problems. And I, I get it and I feel sorry for those people because for all of the stuff, we talked about some big negatives on Friday and you and I disagreed about some of the positives and negatives and what's good and bad. But overall, I, I think, you know, <laughs> for, for, all of the, for all of the potential drawbacks and all of the systemic, you know, things we might or might not change, geez, it's, just, it's just a big call to bet against things getting better over time, isn't it? Oh, it, it, it really is. It really is. Um, and just be careful what you – come back to what we were saying at the start there. I mean, mm. if you really want to, like, make a bunch of money, sell certainty. Certainty sells. <laughs> totally. Oh, absolutely. So, yeah. so you know – Even better, confirmation bias. I think I should buy a BHP. What do you think? Yeah. Yes, you should buy BHP. Gee, thank you. <laughs> yeah. Do you know, but it's uh, you. You oh. can. It's that. It's that lovely meme which I often reference. You know, it's like there's there's two stalls. One yep. is complicated but right, easy but wrong, and everyone's <laughs> lined up on the easy but wrong kind of thing. Yeah. And it's just it is so alluring. Like, it really is, and and our industry just feeds on that. You know, so because when you sort of say, well, I, look, I'd, I'd like some some form of financial advice. Um, the person who goes, well, it depends, maybe nuance, et cetera, et cetera, is just a very unappealing product yeah, compared correct. to, oh, you do this yeah. and you'll make a million dollars. Like, oh, okay, I'm going to go with that one. I'm like, well, mm, mm. you can opt for that if you want, but <laughs> exactly. I would be, I would be, be cautious. Careful. Yeah. Totally. Anyway, it's, it's just, yeah. 
really, really good points. I, you know, look, the market could have been down 10%, could have been up 10%. Our, our advice wouldn't have changed. But it, I just thought it was a useful reminder that when everyone knows, I've said before, I've, I've posted things on a Monday on, or a Friday or a Sunday on Twitter, and someone says, oh, yeah, you just wait till Tuesday, this is going to happen. And it's just like, you know, and you know the worst thing about this, and this is, uh, you'll know this because you've been doing this as long as I have, longer than I have actually, uh, in, in the industry is, the, the, the people who say a thing's going to happen with absolute certainty disagree with you, who have no public track record, no whatever. They just get to be the smart Alex who say, I think this is going to happen. And if they're right, they say, see, I told you if they're wrong, you need to hear from them again. Yeah. Then someone else pops up the next time, does the same thing. And we're the poor, well, I'm not, I was going to say poor bastards. We're not really, life's not that tough. But, you know, we're the ones who, who, who you know, we get stuff wrong every now and again because we do, but we stay around and we stay, stay public and we stay accountable. And so it's like, you know, I told you that was going down. You said it wasn't. So you're wrong. I was like, well, okay, wrong this time. Next time, they're gone. Ghosting. Never there. Or weren't there last time. Mm. It's uh, it's not... I, I, I rant regularly about the the famous, air quotes, famous prognosticators who made forecasts once about one thing and got that one thing right. And, you know, the Dr. Dooms and the Michael Burries and the whatever else. And it's like... I'm not even saying they're not smart people. I'm not even saying you shouldn't listen to them. I'm just saying when you're wrong once about one big... When you're right, sorry, once about one big thing, you're right once. You know, and maybe for good reason, maybe for bad reasons. By the way, there's plenty of people who've been wrong for good reasons. Steve Keen, I kind of occasionally poke fun at a little bit. He wasn't wrong about the structure of the housing market. He was just wrong about the forecast. And yeah. that's okay. You know, and yeah. so d- does he deserve to be poked fun at a little bit? Yeah, because he made an outlandish forecast and he got it wrong. So that's the lesson is don't do stupid things like that. Yeah. Um, but the, the broader one of kind of actually what's the, you know, what's the opportunity here? Mm. Where does the... Um, uh, you know, what's more likely to be right over time, that's where you've got to focus your time. Yep. Yep. And just hey. one more thing. Just remember, again, this mm. is a probabilistic endeavor. It, it, mm. it is all it can be. If Buffett's going to get it wrong all the time, so are you, mm. you know? And that's fine. That's, part, that's, that's just not only is it fine, it's like, what else do you expect, right? Like mm. that is, mm. ab- you've got to own that. I find it very, I, like there's, there's kinds of heuristics um, you can apply when looking around the landscape of, of mm. um mm. Uh, pundits in in this space and it's just always a really green flag i suppose not a red flag in the sense that i love it for those people who own their mistakes and put them out there and talk Mm. about them i just think that it's just so genuine and real Mm. and the flip side is that the person who's never wrong you know it's just like that is the biggest red flag you can imagine because it's not it's obviously not true and it's definitely not true if they're trying to sort of sell you something because it's like if you're that good then you know it's like i've got the formula to turn lead into gold but i'm going to sell you the formula like well, why not just use it like, it's just it's really obvious when you when you start to sort of think <laughs> about it and if Correct. you have if there's anything that's going to blow you up in this game it's mm-hmm. it's hubris and yes, <laughs> yes. like you know if I, I just run a mile if you're ever thinking mm-hmm. about investing in some fund managers fund and they are just cocksure and they just like run a mile run a mile yeah hey mate jason email us with a really interesting question he says hi scott and ram maybe one for the pod Solpats and brickworks two great companies with interesting cross shareholdings in one another i will say now i own both those companies jason says i hold Solpats, but brickworks pricked my interest as they're also invested in some property and have an amazing track record of increasing dividends he says, I think 42 years of increases. Is holding Solpats and Brickworks, quotes, diversification, end quote, using a, a, a Lynch, Peter Lynch uh, phrase or a word? I think I took that quote from Buffett. No, it was from Peter Lynch, but close enough. But what are your thoughts on holding Solpats and Brickworks when they both have that cross shareholding? Would holding one over the other be the way to go? 
Similarly to to an index fund or holding an LIC like AFIC or international index funds, multiple banks, etc. We're holding two very similar companies in a portfolio. I'd be interested in your opinions. Keep up the fantastic work, Jason. Now, Jason, I will say, um, I'm, <laughs> I'm also, it's not very kind. Uh, Jason, I'm sorry. I, I know you've probably heard this before, but uh, when I say Jason, I even hear Jimmy Rees. Say, Jason, Jason, Jason. For those who follow Jimmy Rees on Facebook, you'll, uh, you'll, you'll, that'll, that'll ring some bells. Anyway, <laughs> uh, mate, what do you think? Soul Pats, Brickworks, both, either, neither. What is it? Is there, is there some, you know, value in holding both, or are you just kind of doing this two of the same thing? Where's the, where's the opportunity there? Yeah, well, I mean, it's true to say that if you own either one of them, you own both to some extent. So there, there That's is a good that. point, actually. You yeah. know, so it's kind of like uh, there, there is exposure either way. It's the, it's the degree of exposure you want, I suppose. Um, they're both perfectly decent companies in and of their own uh, right. And I wouldn't blame anyone who, who, who owned both of them. So, but you're just, you're, 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 you're making a more concentrated bet, I suppose. Um, and there's nothing wrong with concentrating into your best ideas. So if, if they're your best ideas, by all means, absolutely. And, and it might be that you're more interested in the investment conglomerate or you're more interested mm. in the uh, brick making side of things. Um, so you can sort of do that, but yeah, no, I, 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 well, you own both. So maybe you're better, I do. better, better place I do. to answer it. <laughs> I'll give you my thoughts. Um, so Jason, I think what's interesting about the diversif- diversification is, uh, it was a line from Peter Lynch, the U S fund manager who did spectacularly well. He talked about mostly companies themselves. He was talking about an age when, by the way, talking about conglomerates, both Brickworks and Solpats are conglomerates to different degrees. Um, but he was talking about businesses who said, you know what, I'm in the business of um, men of straw. And I'm going to I'm going to go into the business of uh, Bitcoin mining. I'm sorry, I'm being, I'm being a little bit funny now. No, I own the business of shoes. I'm going to go in the business of forestry all of a sudden because I'm going to diversify my business. Now, Peter Lynch would say, hang on, unless you have business being in those other categories, Unless you bring something to the table, diversifying for the sake of it can be diversifying. In other words, making things worse by trying to add that diversification. It's not necessarily about what you would hold in a portfolio specifically or even what the companies themselves do. It's about understanding what the kind of competitive advantages are or the core competencies of a business and, and sort of sticking with those. Um, so that, that's, that's that bit. In terms of the overlap, mate, here's the thing. They absolutely hold large chunks of each other. Uh, when when Brickworks reports, oh, by the way, shameless plug, I had Brickworks CEO Lindsay Partridge on the Good Oil podcast recently. Um, I actually got, I reckon, more positive comments about that one than anything in the last year or year and a half. Um, I've had some really positive comments about other ones in, in the past, but recently, people are like, wow, that was a really great podcast. I really enjoyed it. And again, I, I take no credit for it because I'm on all the podcasts. So if there was something good about that one, it was probably that Lindsay Partridge was particularly good. So check that out. For your, for your own sake. When Brickworks reports, they talk about their property business, their investments business, i.e. the Sol Pats cross shareholding, and their uh, brick and tile business. What did I say bricks at the beginning? Property, tiles, and bricks anyway. Um, they're their three, they're three pillars. Now, if you think about Sol Pats, they get some earnings from Brickworks as well, from effectively the property and bricks bit, and then a whole lot of other stuff besides. So you've got to think, for those who are mathematically inclined or understand the idea of concentric circles, that is, circles are kind of interlinked. Um, there's an overlap in, you know, put two circles together, overlap them to some degree. There's some that's in common 
And sometimes on the outside, there's only one circle, not the other. I hope that's kind of, I think people kind of get concentric circles. Uh, it's um, not technically a concentric circle. I do, the mathematician in me. Oh, well, no. a Venn diagram, Venn diagram. Venn diagram is what you're Venn after. Yep. Sorry, mate. Thank you. A Venn diagram. So that's why I'm not doing it on paper rather than. Mate, audio. there's, there's, there's um, being right and there's being technically right. And technically right is always the more annoying. <laughs> <laughs> What's going to be a pedant if you can't be pedantic sometimes? Exactly. That's what I always say. Exactly. Um, I, I appreciate you picking me up on the nuance of that. Uh, uh-huh. That was deliberate. That was deliberate. Uh, all right. So, yes, uh, they, the Venn diagram, thank you, mate, where there's the overlap. Solpats and brickworks meaningfully overlapping. Now, here's the thing about when people buy overlapping companies, I wouldn't buy four banks and think I'm diversified. But equally, if I want exposure to the banking sector, if I had three, uh, if I had two 5% positions or four 2.5% positions, it's kind of still the same weight into the banking sector. Now, there might be some value in picking your favorite two or choosing all four to diversify. But either way, it, it, the duplication isn't really that, that big a deal because you've still got 10% of your, your, your yeah, portfolio in banks. So with Solpats and Brickworks, yeah, I own both. I own reasonably large chunks of both because I like them both. I like the basic investment conglomerate structure of Solpats. I like the Milners, uh, Rob Milner in particular, who's the executive chair, and Todd Barlow, the CEO. These guys do a great job, have for years and decades and decades. Um, I like them a lot. I think they're going to really look after shareholders. So I like that. I like Solpats as a Brickworks cross shareholding too, by the way. Then we look at Brickworks and think, well, hang on, Brickworks gets the Solpats business, which I already like. And I like Lindsay Partridge and what they're doing with the brick and tile business. And I also like the what I think is genuinely hidden value, even though we talk about it a bit, of their property portfolio. Um, and so I'm, I'm really happy with either or both. Honestly, the times I bought one rather than the other tend to be where there's seemingly more attractive valuations of one over the other. You know, if, 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 if they merged tomorrow, I would happily hold exactly the same dollar value in the merged entity. Mm. So to purport of you know, diversification or the, the banks for, for two and a half percent positions or, or two five percents, I own a, a portion of those two combined. And if you maybe sell all of one and buy the other, I'd be happy. If they merged, I'd be happy. Um, I, I don't think it's an issue. I don't think you need to worry about it. If you had a particularly strong view that the brick and tile business was much, much better and so therefore more justified to own, then great. If you'd have a reverse view, which is actually I really love, you know, I hate the brick and tile business, uh, so I, but I love soap hats, then, then great too. So if, if you have a particular preference for one, the, the, the outside of the Venn diagram, go with one or the other. If, if the valuation drags you in one direction, go with one or the other. If you were to say, I like them both, relatively equally and held them both I think you'll do perfectly fine I think they're both really high quality businesses Motley Fool Money for more subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash listener alright mate let's move to another question this time from Jacob hi Scott and Andrew says Jacob I've been an avid listener to your work on the podcast I can't get enough of the straw man jokes you and me both. Jacob, you and me both. There's two people. Uh, <laughs> no more than that. Come on, I've had at least three people write in. So That's like true. Them. That is true. I'm only like one person that I don't like them, Ram. I, you know, I'm I re- not exactly a representative sample, but I'm, I'm going with it. Go with it. Anyway, Jacob says, um, I recently started investing for the long term and I've got a diversified portfolio of ETFs and managed funds, he says in brackets, to scratch that itch. I have a comment and a question. This will be interesting. My comment, I had, a man, I had managed a fund I had a managed fund, I think he says, that I could not trace due to a banking glitch. And I managed to locate it after many years, during which I presumed the money was lost. A chance conversation with a financially savvy friend told me a way to contact it using a TFN, tax file number. I was surprised the fund returned 15% per annum over eight years. 
and I still hold it. It reminded me of a story I heard by Fidelity Asset Management. Uh, the story, of course, is the one in which uh, the investor who, uh, well, <laughs> the, the article linked is just quoted as, why the dead outperform the living. And there's a oh, famous piece of research. I know uh, this one. You know yes. the one? Yep. Where basically, they <laughs> allegedly, uh, some research was done. I don't know if I've ever located the original piece of research. So I'll throw it allegedly in there just for fun. But effectively... Just leaving things alone. Dead account holders actually better than live account holders uh, for this particular fund manager. And it was basically because they left it alone and didn't play silly buggers, whereas people who try to fiddle too much ended up doing worse. I'm not entirely sure what's true or not. But uh, Jacob also says, I must stress I have not seen any evidence this story is true. I have a published peer-reviewed journal article. But hey, it makes a good story and a good lesson. I believe Fine it is ho- true. I believe yeah, it is true. Yeah. Good. A buy and hold portfolio, he says, is one you won't feel tempted to change depending on the prevailing winds, but navigate instead to your destination. In my case, retirement in 25 years. I'm looking to invest in a growth portfolio rather than dividends to minimize my tax drag. I use super to the concessional contributions cap, but my portfolio is outside super. He says, I want to have a diversified portfolio of around 40% Australian, 40% NASDAQ, and 20% emerging markets. I'm not naive to the risks or volatility of the portfolio, but I'm struggling with the concentration risk of Australian portfolios in banks and miners. I do hold them, he says, in managed funds and ETFs. My unfair question, says Jacob, is what are your thoughts on Australia without the banks and miners? And he mentions a ETF called the Global X Australia X Financials and Resources ETF. The code is OZXX for those who are wondering. Uh, what do you reckon, mate, as, a, as an ETF alternative uh, compared to the Australian market, which does obviously have a lot of banks and miners in it? Ye- yes. I Well, <laughs> um, I'm pretty bearish Searching on the banks. <laughs> I, I, over I what think, period of time, can I ask? Just because uh, from a long-term yeah. investing. Would, are you bearish over 50 years or over three years? Oh, ooh, that's a different question. Sorry, Definitely yeah, over yeah, three yeah, years. Okay. Yeah, def- I mean, oh, 50 years. Look, the pace of change in our world has never been mm. faster. I, mm. I, I think anyone who goes out more than 10 years is really kidding themselves, really, is right. how, how things are going to look. It's, it's, so, it's just so – I mean, just go back mm. 10 years ago and look at what sort of unfolded. It's just, it's just radically accelerating. So I don't know. And I, mm. I, I, it, what, who was the other fund manager who said in the long run we're all dead? You know? yeah, um, that was John Maynard Keynes, wasn't it? Oh, that might have been Keynes, yeah. JP Morgan as well. There you go. He said the, he said the occasional smart thing. So, <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I, I so I'm hesitant because the whole point of the broad-based index is just saying I don't know yeah. and yeah. knowing that it's sort of all captured in the average. So as soon as you start bringing specific outlooks to things, you <laughs> kind of undermine the strategy. Yeah. So I'm, I am wary of that. But at the same time, when I sort of look at the investing landscape right now, I see a constant. I say a sector that is highly concentrated on a particular asset class that I see as bonkers. Mm. I see a, a very cyclical and uh, highly leveraged business model. It's just the nature of banking. I wouldn't touch it. I wouldn't invest your money in it, as they say, yeah. right? So, <laughs> so I, I actually, I actually have some sympathy with with that approach. And um, having that being said, within my super fund, I have got. Is it VAS, I think, the, yep. Um, yep. the very broad-based one, which, which has that exposure. Yeah. yeah. Now, I kind of sort of account for that by direct investments outside of it. Um, but, yeah, 
uh, what do I say? I've got to be careful here because it's just, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a very, mm, <laughs> help me out here. Do you, do you know what I'm getting? Because it, like, it's I sort of. I abs- no, I, I, I was, I, I'm not, I'm a little bit surprised at that actually because I thought you would say uh, that, um, I thought you would say that you would avoid it because of the banks and miners, which you kind of partly said and then went back to what, what was going to be my point. So I'm going to, I'm going to be basically stealing your own comments and, and repeating them back to you. Um, I, I, the reason I asked about three years versus 50 years was exactly that reason. Was that passive versus active, right? I think over the next three years, it's entirely possible, maybe even probable, that the banking sector underperforms the ASX. And miners are hard as a group to look at because, they, you know, even if, if, if within resources, you've got iron ore, gold, oil, lithium, copper i mean if you take those five commodities they're going to have different directions at different coal different directions at different times right so you kind of go well where are we there the oil prices are a 12 month low right so mm. you know 12 months ago we're in a different answer on oil than it is today potentially mm. um not that i have a particularly strong view either way but you know what i'm saying um so it's kind of that it's kind of that concept of um you know what what are what are resources quotes resources you know it's a, it's a very difficult one mm. i would say for what it's worth that my take is yours, particularly if you've got a long-term ETF. If you're going to invest for 25 plus years to retirement, and then frankly, I, I keep reminding people regularly, it's not aimed at, at any any particular listeners, including our questioner. Um, your investing doesn't stop on on the day you retire, right? It hopefully goes for 20, 30 years after that. So if, you, if you've got 25 years to retirement, you've probably got a 50-year investing horizon. And so to the extent you're looking at uh, an investment in uh, an ETF, you know, uh, trying to time I'll, I'll buy the etf after, only after banks do x or miners do y um it's it just it's just a it's just a dangerous way to think about it the other thing don't forget if you're buying an etf is if the miners and resources companies don't do quite so well others will will grow in terms of their weighting in the etf so you're not just saying mm. i will only have the miners of their current size and the other companies of their current size and the future of that particularly if you're dollar cost averaging as you as you invest in you know, the ETF in three years, five years, seven years, 10 years, the proportion's going to change. And so you mm. think about the S&P 500. This is, a, this is a really great example. Go back, I'm going to say 15 years, mate. That might even be two. Maybe it's 20 now. 15, 20 years. Uh, the top companies in, in the US were GE, General Electric, General Motors, uh, Exxon, Cisco, whatever. Mm. If you'd have correctly <laughs> said, those businesses will be, will be meaningfully challenged over the next 20 years. You would have been right. If you said, therefore, I'm not going to invest in that index, you would have been horribly, horribly, horribly wrong. Why? Because the smaller companies, the up-and-comers, not only do they beat the big guys, they then kept growing from there. And so if you're saying, I won't invest in the ASX 300 or 200 because of the banks and miners, and yet, for example, let's assume, I don't know, pick uh, biotech or retail or something else happens in Australia, and they grow and grow and grow and grow and grow. You end up with a situation where you avoided the ETF for the right reasons, but you missed out on the returns that came from it. If you'd said 20 years ago, I'm not buying the S&P 500 ETF. It's got GM and GE. They're yesterday's companies. They're not going to go anywhere. And then again, you look now. Now, it's easy to take hindsight bias and say, see, therefore, my, this might be the exception that proves the rule. But Ram, to your point, I would not exclude. So I, I did for a while. I invested. I still have a, I think it's in my, my unblocked portfolio. He's got uh, um, ASX small ordinaries which is basically the All Lords less the top 100. Now, in the event, there's actually there's actually a lot of miners in, this, in the next 200 anyway. And so uh, the, the, the proportion is actually not that different, funnily enough. When you, when Two-thirds of all that. companies on the ASX are materials yeah, mining yeah. companies. Yeah. And it's probably, it's probably, you know, 
they're probably 20-ish percent of the AA all awards, I think, but they're still like 20% of the ASX, the small ordinaries anyway, because yeah. there's more of them and they're just, they're just you know, individually still big enough combined uh, to be a large proportion. So, look, I, I, I wouldn't, Jacob. I, I, I used to. I thought I did. I bought the small ordinaries specifically for that purpose and I've changed my mind. Um, things are, speaking of changing our minds on things, for exactly the reasons Ram said, frankly, I could be, first, I could be wrong about the banks and or the miners. So do I really want to make that bet? Don't know. Even if I'm right about them and the small companies become larger and take over the, the ETF does well, you know, now, if I, I can still avoid them by buying the, the, the X Financials X Miners ETF and go and buy that, therefore I get even more upside. But if I'm wrong, and if I'm wrong, I'm being active, I'm being active, I might as well pick stocks and around and around we go as you started with. One last thought for me just quickly, mate, is the, uh, the ETF he mentions has a management fee of 0.25%. You can get a, an ASX 200 or 300 ETF for about 0.04, 0.07%. So you have to be right, but you also have to be right. And you buy the by the size of that management fee, even to be square, and then get growth on top of that. So you kind of, you know, 0.18 of a percent is not a massive difference to make up, but it is a bogey. You're starting further behind by choice, hoping that not only you write about the difference, but you're right by enough that it offsets the fees plus something on top of that. Um, it becomes a harder, longer part at some point. So I used to want to avoid that. I've chosen, as you just said, mate, not to do that. I have international diversification for reasons to cover that. I'd rather do it that way, frankly. If I was going to say I'm worried about the ASX exposure, I'd probably go passive in an international way rather than try and place funny buggers with the local uh, the local portfolio waiting in that in that sense. Mm. Um. You reminded me there of a stat. So uh, speaking of Peter Lynch, so for those that don't know, Peter Lynch ran the Magellan Fund um, in the US. Uh, He ran that between 1977 and 1990. And anyone invested over that period got a 29% average annual (laughs) compound return. It's extraordinary, isn't it? He's one of the best investment managers in history, right? Yep. Like Buffett's done 20%, you know, mm-hmm. so it's, uh, Buffett's done it over a much longer period, but still, yeah. like that's nothing to sneeze at. Yeah. Put, put, apply the rule of 72 to that, you basically doubled your money every two years, two, mm-hmm. and, a, two and a bit years. Incredible. Extraordinary, yeah. Here's, here's the rub. Most of the investors in the Magellan Fund lost money. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. So how do you square that circle? That's fascinating. I'll tell you how you square it. Because he had good years and he had bad years, like every investor. He had periods mm. where he underperformed, periods where he overperformed. <laughs> yeah, right. And so when Magellan was doing well, everyone plowed their money into it. <laughs> and then it had a bad year and everyone sold. Well, not everyone, yeah. but majority yeah, of people yeah. did. There's an investment research firm. I put this in the Strawman newsletter recently, actually. So investment research firm Dalbar, mm. um, they publish an annual report of investor behavior each year. And they just look at the average equity fund uh, return versus the S&P 500. Mm. And so you can look at it, like the, the conclusion this year was the same as it is every year. It's just like investors are their own worst enemies. <laughs> but if you'd stuck in the S&P 500 over the last 30 mm. years, you got about 9% per annum. The average equity investor did 6%. Like how? How, yeah. how, are, you, yeah. how yeah. are you getting two thirds of the return? Mm-hmm. You're like the wind is at your back, right? <laughs> Yeah. And again, it's 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 it's, it's still, everyone. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We're, we're we're doing the same kind of thing. So this is sort mm. of the whole point of the index fund. So there was a point at at which I don't know what's a recent example. It's probably no longer relevant. But Afterpay didn't exist. It did. Mm. At one point, it became the two hundredth largest company on the ASX and got added into mm. the ASX two hundred index and and the various associated ETFs. And then it grew and grew and grew and it reweighted up as 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 that happened. 
the same time you had uh, I'm trying to think of a company that hasn't done well over that period, you know, but a bigger company that started up and just did worse and worse and worse. You get that automatic rebalancing of just, mm. just to reiterate your point alone. So yeah. Yeah. Um, the other thing that's interesting, I think about markets is it's something like uh, there's 260 trading days in a calendar year. Mm-hmm. And so over a 10 year period, there's, I don't know, call it 2,600. Most of the gains are made over a, um, and it's like only like 30 or 40 days in that period account for most of the gains. In other words, you take them out and the performance is radically different. And again, it all comes back to this hubris of, of timing, of trying to get in and out and position and, and the rest of it. And I'm not saying you shouldn't. I mean, I mean, I'm a stock picker, right? I'm, I'm, I'm actively trying to beat the index, not by timing, but by just trying to pick the better quality companies within that. But I'm really hyper alert to the to the fact that it's just sort of like, given the work that's involved in that, it's a high, it's a high <laughs> bar to jump over. <laughs> when when hmm. the average is actually probably going to be pretty good, I don't have to do any work, and I can just get on with my life and probably focus more of my efforts on just earning a good income and saving. Right? Like that's, that's hmm. got to be careful with this. It prompted me to do. A little bit of an exercise. I love a good spreadsheet, as you know, Scott. So I went. I went on there. Uh, I've got a data subscription service. Went on um, and got the all odds over the last twelve months, and it turns out that the all odds is up. Nine, oh, here we go. This is what what, the, what our listener said up about nine percent. <laughs> so, and all I did was I just lined up all of those days, and I just removed the three best trading days, not yeah. the twenty, not yeah, three. Yeah. And the return was radically different. In fact, uh, uh, where am I here? It was it was almost twice as bad. Wow. Uh, yeah, yeah. So it's, it's it. This is the problem. And and he, here's here's the coup de gras. So the COVID crash of early two, 2020 feels like mm. ancient history, right? Doesn't it? Because of every <laughs> so much has happened since then. Yeah. Um, but that COVID crash was, it started on the market high before, before uh, the COVID crash was uh, fe- February 20th and it hit a bottom on March 24th. That is a period of 24 trading days. Yeah. Yeah. And the market lost thir- a third of its value. Like crazy, hey? literally tens of billions wiped off the market value yep. of companies, 34%. Now within that 24 period, we actually saw in a, in a full third of all trading days, the market went up. In three of those trading days, the market went up by more than four percent. So, <laughs> the the idea with the idea with timing is is that well, I'm going to get out before it goes down. And yeah, and, and, right. and so someone up there going, yeah, but what if you take the three worst days out? Well, the, the, res, the return is insanely good, right? It's much 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 better. But you've got to be right there because it's it, it's very counterintuitive that the best one day gains tend to happen in bear markets because you've got extra. It makes sense when you think about it because there's extra volatility, there's extra uncertainty. So the bigger one day, if you want to find, if you were to ask me. Um, at what periods did the best one-day gains happen on the ASX? <laughs> I reckon they happened during periods of, of, of when the market was selling off because it sort of like plummets and then it bounces back up and it plummets and it bounces back up. But my point is you only have to remove a few of those and gosh, you shoot yourself in the foot massively, like just hugely. And it's just, you just get further and further behind. So I'm kind of gone well off the original sort of point here. But I guess my, my, my point is you're either – 
you, you, you're either going to be a direct investor yeah. or you're going to take an ETF. You absolutely take a blended approach depending on what you want to do. I do, right? Mm-hmm. I just said I own some ETFs. I mean, the vast yeah, majority yeah. is indirect yep. picks, but there's nothing wrong with doing it. But, but if you're going to go, I just feel as though if you're going to go the ETF approach, let it do its thing. Don't don't start applying either a timing lens to it or a sector selection period to it because it kind of yeah. undermines the whole. It, it is yeah. it is it is counterproductive, I guess. And particularly if you know dollar cost average, right? You're going to be you're going to be investing during some high periods and low periods, some uncertain periods in between, um, and even the high periods will be higher later on. Uh, you know, it's it's a it's a very very important message you, you share, mate. I like it a lot. Can, can I make um, another quick point? Sorry, do, mate. Yeah. Sorry. No, sorry. I, I, I don't hate emerging market investing. I don't, I don't like it. it. Yep. Don't All like right. it. Don't like it. Too many. It comes from, I think, a fallacy that, you know, uh, managers will say, well, you want, expo- you, want, you, want ex- you want broader exposure. Sounds good, mm-hmm. right? So here you've got this developing part of the world, which by definition has more upside, right? Mm-hmm. And, and so you should invest some money there. And I would say, well, history doesn't suggest that's true. In fact, yeah. a lot of these economies have been emerging for decades. <laughs> I can't think but, of the last developing country that became a developed country, quite honestly. Right? I mean, they're all getting better. Yeah, Like yeah, as but, the world rises in yeah, prosperity, yeah. But, but not, you know, it's not an even kind of thing. So here's mm. the best example of all, right? So unequivocally, over the last 10 years, China is a much bigger economy right, today than it was in, in 2013. Would you agree? Yes. Like, I don't, I don't think anyone's silly enough to debate no, that. No. So in mid-2013, 10 years ago, I'm going to put all my money into a, um, a Chinese ETF. Mm. Uh, there's a developing market, right? Like, it's massively <laughs> developing. So I just Googled one quickly. The iShares China large cap ETF, the ticker code here is IZZ. Uh, guess what the price is? You can guess where I'm going here. <laughs> I can go on. Right? So 10 years ago, the unit price was $39.26. Today, it's mm. $41.82. Mm. So this yeah. is that thing of being right yeah. and wrong at the same time. Yes. My, bet, yes. Tw- my, my 2013 self said, China is just on a tear. Mm-hmm. It's going to keep getting bigger. I'm therefore going to bet on it. Well, you were right. It did get bigger. Mm-hmm. Uh, you didn't make any money though. In fact, you lost in real terms. And... <laughs> And why is that? You know, yeah. A, the economy, market is not the economy. Um, yes, that's, that's a really important point to make. And I think one of the things that while they have better growth potential and prospects, they unfortunately, you speak to anyone who, who comes from these or has experience, they, they, are, they don't have the strength of institutions that we have. They don't have the rule of law. They have generally high levels of corruption and that. Right, so it's right, not right. like wealth isn't being created. But don't kid yourself that it's being evenly spread around, and yeah, and much of it is is being left over for for ordinary shareholders. So I just I don't I don't like emerging markets. I I think if you find a really great company and it happens to be in an emerging market, by all means do it. But too many people do it because oh it's an emerging market. It's good sense to invest outside of Australia just because. I think is. I think is flawed. And I think there's a lot of good evidence to sort of suggest that I've never met anyone who's done. I mean, that, that doesn't mean anything though, because I don't mm. know everyone, but I, I've certainly never <laughs> met anyone who's done particularly well in these, in these, in these markets. Yeah. Because, you know, most of the wealth gets siphoned off, uh, wealth creation gets siphoned off. And mm. 
if there was a scenario where I just had zero opportunity in my local market, which has much stronger institutions, much better rule of law, I have a home field advantage because I live here, speak the language, I know the market, I know I probably deal with a lot of the companies. You know, it's just, and I'm going overseas into these jurisdictions that they're just very opaque and foreign, like just conceptually to me. I just feel as though you, you, with investing, you, 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 you stay within your circle of competence, play where you have an edge. What do I, I mean, the, 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 the arrogance to think that I am going to understand these companies better than the locals. Um, I, just, I just feel as though I've got no edge there. I've got, and therefore, I've got no business investing in them. Anyway, what about, that's my point. though, that you, you've gone from ETF investing to individual stock picking. You're talking about the veggie you may or may not yeah, have. Sorry, that, you did, don't, yeah. No, 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 I'm not, not, yeah. not, not Christmas at all. I'm wondering whether, is that different if it's an ETF? If it's a case of, I want broad global exposure, I'll have some Australia, some developed markets, some emerging markets, roll those together, I've kind of got the world on average, that's a pretty good starting point for some people who are saying pa passive is passive is passive, bit of everything. Mm. Is, that, is that meaningfully different? I, I think it, it's more about saying, well, why do you want exposure? to emerging markets. If, you're, if you want exposure to emerging markets because that feels as though it makes sense and mm. someone in a suit and Martin Place said that it makes sense, <laughs> I, don't, I don't think it's, and they've probably got a vested interest in, they just happen to have a product that they can sell you that will scratch yeah. that itch. Yeah. It sounds good, it sounds good. But these are, I mean, invest in Africa, best of luck to you. A lot of capital has gone there to die for a whole bunch of depressing reasons. Mm. Uh, same with South America. Same with a lot of Asia. Just, just you know, we. I, I think sometimes we have to check our financial privilege. We don't. We forget the incredible good fortune we have to 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 live in these liberal democracies with very strong rule of law. Whole bunch of problems, of course. But I know where I would prefer to be. And, mm -hmm. and we, we find Australian companies experience this all the time. There's one in the news at the moment. I've gone blank now. Is it, is it Lake or one of the lithium miners? They've got all these operations over in Africa. And, you know, market goes nuts because, hey, lithium and, whoa, look, they've got a huge deposit. And, oh, you just got rug pulled by the government. Bye. Oh, that's not fair. Yep, that's right. That's what happened. That's <laughs> what happened. And I'm not, I am not, I'm not, I'm not trying to be critical of the people from those countries. You know, um, they're human beings and beautiful people like there is a bit, but, but their institutions are crap, <laughs> right? They just are. <laughs> and and I'm, I'm not going to invest in those places where I just can't take for granted what I can more reasonably take for granted here. Mm. That's just me. That's just me. Yeah, I'm less, I'm less um, sure that only looking at the negatives or risks is, is the only way to do it. I would, I don't have any... Do we have any emerging market exposure? Actually, I don't think I need it necessarily. I've got the VGS, the Vanguard Global um, ETF, which is Developed World X Australia. That's good enough for me. Uh, sorry, I do. Do I still have? I should know. I had the Asian Tigers ETF for a while. I think I might still have it. Let me double check before I say something. I get myself in trouble. Um, how's this for live research as we go? Mm -hmm. Log in, log in, log in. No, I don't have it there. Do I have it there? I think I know, wouldn't you? Yes, I do. I still own a few units of the Asian Tigers ETF, which is emerging-ish markets. Um, Has it done out of interest? I'm not. I'm not. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't. I don't know. I'm just generally. Thank you very much. Yourself. Genuinely, thirty-nine point seven percent since I since I bought the ETF units. What um, was that? It, uh, I don't know actually. Um, I'll cut you some slack if it was you know short term, but if it was over ten years. It kind of. Again, oh, it no, just no, no, no. It's probably two or three years ago, probably max. Okay. Be sometime in the last couple of years. Okay. Um, 
and, it, and it, for me, it was a, it was purely a diversification move. Just like, hey, I'll buy some. Um, the, the, the the broad thinking was, and this is partly active and partly passive, and again, to, to the kind of comment we've been having or the conversation we've been having ongoing, uh, I I think it's very likely that in the next 20 years, the top three or four of the top 10 companies in the world are probably Asian and probably Chinese, just because of the sheer development of that market and the development size of the population and the the, the, the realities of the compound. Think about Alibaba's and the JD.com's and the others. Um, and so it was just a case of, you know, to the extent that that might be a market I should be exposed to, I bought some units in the ETF. Now it's 1.26% of my super fund, which is probably, you know, whatever percent of the total. So it's, it's a tiny, it's a tiny holding. Um, but it was on that basis that it just made some sense for me to have some exposure to that market as a as a quasi passive part of my superannuation portfolio. I have some Nasdaq in there. I have some Vanguard Small Lords and some Global. So there you go. So kind of you know as a as a as a as a box set, I've got uh, Small Small Lords, Global, Nasdaq, and Asian Tigers. Uh, they are the they are the only ETFs I have in my in my super fund. And it was just for that kind of broad global exposure. I didn't have that Asian exposure to any of my other ETFs. So I can, yeah, that, that sounds like something I could probably, you know, should have some exposure to. I have no idea where they go next. Maybe it was always a terrible idea. Maybe it was always a fine idea. Uh, Chinese companies, uh, Alibaba in particular, was whacked by the Chinese government. Speaking of sovereign risk. So, surprise, surprise. Um, yes. Exactly. I mean, Alibaba's so, gone nowhere in 10 years, right? Share yeah. Price. Yeah. So that, that's that's part of the, well, it's not, hasn't been flat, of course. It, it is now, you know, where it was, but um, very volatile in the meantime. Anyway, uh, yeah, so I have a little bit. I don't, I don't think you need exposure to emerging markets for the sake of it. I do think global diversification makes sense if you're going with a passive ETF strategy. I think only investing in Australia is a very... Um, concentrated way to think about living your life if your job your house your car and your portfolio are all in Australia only um, you're just taking geographic risk you don't need to take not that I'm anti or, or worried about Australia at all but looking back and going something happened <laughs> you know was it smart not to take a to, not diversify or nothing happened did it cost you much to diversify if you, if you weigh up the outcomes of those two questions I think it makes a lot of sense to have some global exposure um, do you need emerging markets probably not yeah, I don't look at it. Just, it just, it's just the opinion of, of, of one ill-informed person who's just shooting from the hip here. But I, I just, I, I think that you, you always need some degree of diversification. But I think it really does become diversification when it yeah, is no. is purely for the sake of it. It's it's yeah. like we often criticise a lot of um, pundits who'll say. Uh, you should own a bit of gold, and you should own a bit of financials, and you should own a yeah, bit right. of retail, and you should. It's like, well. Why? What? Am yeah. I, am I, again, back to my original point. I either own the whole damn lot. And I just like yeah. sit back and, and and go for it, or I try and and don't forget your returns can be made significantly better not by identifying the best performers, but just by mm-hmm. actively removing what's likely in your view to be the yeah. worst performers. Yeah, fair. You know, look fair. at your own portfolio, not you specifically, like anyone listening. Take out the one worst performer over the last five yeah. years, <laughs> just the one. And see what changes, you know, it's like, it's mass. And and this is really, I think too many of us, we all focus on, oh, what's the next, you know, Afterpay or whatever it happens. And Afterpay is a bad example these days. Um, But, you know, um, yeah, yeah, which which is kind of the point, right? But, but, but it's just like, I I try to focus as much as I can as well on, it's like, well, what's the one thing that I can, what's the the tumor Mm. I can excise Mm. here from my portfolio rather than the supplement that I can add? 
horrible mm. analogy, but you, you get where I'm coming from. I do exactly know exactly what's coming from. Mate, let's finish off with a question from Adam who says, Hi guys, I'm brand new to this podcast machine thingy and I can't work out what straw man is. Oh. Is there someone you can ask and yeah. get a rant? <laughs> no, there's not. No, there's no one to ask. <laughs> if I ask you what strawman.com is, you couldn't tell me. You've already, yeah, we've already, you've, you've done your shtick for this week. We've done it. And yeah, Adam would like to know, and you're gonna you're gonna deny him. Go to strongman.com, figure it out, Adam. You're a smart guy. You'll you'll work it out. In case you haven't worked it out, I've been listening to you for years, and thanks again <laughs> for all your help. I know you can't give advice, and I'm trying to get all the info to make my own decision. My question relates to an SMSF and when to start one. I've always been worried about starting one due to compliance regulations and penalties if breached. There also seems to be considerable ongoing cost with audits and accounting fees. I saw that one provider has just started a new complete SMSF service for $990 per year, including setup costs, but not including brokerage fees or foreign exchange. What have you heard about one-stop SMSF shops? Are they trustworthy? Couldn't they just jack up the fee later on? I already have Australian Super Members Direct with four ETF broad-based index funds and would do the same in an SMSF. When I ask an advisor, anyone... Uh, uh, sorry, anyone who does an SMSF will say, yes, do one. He says in brackets, every barber wants to cut my hair. Sorry, Scott. <laughs> yeah, thank you, Adam. I would really appreciate some impartial feedback. Thanks and fool on, Adam. Mm. Go on, mate. I don't know the particular product. I think there is a place for uh, companies that can enhance the user experience and just making it easier straightforward doing it at a reasonable fee definitely right i'm no problem with that anyone who provides a service of genuine value deserves compensation for that in fact mm. you know that's 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 totally cool but it's such a broad question because within that you've got a whole bunch of shysters when i say shysters they're not doing anything illegal but they they're gouging <laughs> you know they're, they're they're charging prices that are well above what what is reasonable in terms of, yep. of what they are doing yeah um, so it's hard to speak specifically. Uh, I use Australian Super for whatever it's worth. Um, and I even say that without having done an exhaustive search and pro con, you know, competitor analysis. It was just like, I think it was when I was at the full with, with you, you know, it was like, that's who we went I'm sort of stuck with them. They've worked out pretty well. It's a very, very low touch affair. So I don't end up cop copying much costs at all. Cause I just, I just, it's a very inactive kind of, um, segment. Um, but you do see a lot of things that are out there, lots of bells and whistles and the rest of it. And I think the more of, you actually for super, I don't think you want necessarily two feature rich a set because each, each feature is going to be associated with a cost. <laughs> yeah, yeah, correct, correct. And you, you just, I mean, you really less is more when it comes mm, to these, mm. these kinds of things. Yeah. Do you know, do I need to um, install a home gym and do all this kind of stuff to, to get fit and hire a personal trainer to come around for three hours every day. Or, mm. yeah, I could, or I just, you know, maybe cut back a bit on the ice cream and go for a walk every now and again. Is it like, there's, there is, there is, there is a, sometimes the added complexity uh, is, is a negative because when there's a button and a lever to pull and push, <laughs> I'll probably do that. Mm. And I'll probably be my own worst enemy. Uh, not not to be critical of, and just just we are, and we've this, we've touched on this earlier on in the pod. It's just really for this kind of stuff. Just focus on what you can put into it. Let compounding do its thing. Stay broad. Stay basic. You'll do pretty well. Could have you done better? Yeah, well, yeah, obviously. You know, could have bought Bitcoin at a dollar. You know, <laughs> one point in time. Like, does that mean that the smart investor put all their money into that in two thousand and eleven or whenever it was? Like, no. I like, guess it's, it's crazy. So I just. 
I, I am a little cynical on, on a lot of the products that are out there. Yeah. Um, yes. Warren Buffett talks a lot about the helpers in our industry, by the way, and Raya helpers as well. And so we're charging a fee for our respective products and you can choose whether or not that's worth your money. So, you know, we're not squeaky clean or whiter than white here. We're not doing it for love. Um, there's bills to pay and, you know, business to build. Uh, but I share his thought. Adam, you're... So let me go to the ETFs first. Uh, I have an SMSF. Uh, I wanted to have more control of my investments timing it is it is more controllable easier you're closer to the product you're close to the investments you make the trades yourself all that kind of stuff is is, is nice to have i gotta say mate um if i was trading stuff that was available through a australian super members direct option it'd be cheaper and a whole lot less hassle just to do that mm. so honestly i'm not a million miles away from going back to an industry super fund with it with a with a direct investment option because i'm like I'm spending the money. I'm taking the time. There are other penalties if I get it wrong. There's obligations paperwork. I'm like, well, what am I getting extra here? And there is a real, let's, let's be really honest with people listening right now. There's a real psychological desire to have control over things, right? Control is a really human desire. Uh, control over our lives, control over our money, control over this. The whole area of super, it's your money stuff. You know, all, all this stuff is all about, you know, you control it. You're better than this. There's more bloody trading. I don't know if you've seen it recently. I'm not going to name the company. Um, uh, you know, uh, there's new ads on TV with the, you know, own the trading, you, you learn to trade and then master the markets and all mm. this kind of rubbish. And, and it's all about playing to the ego of, I want to take control because I can do this because it's mine. So whatever, whatever. Um, we don't seem to want control when it comes to fixing the car or the wiring or, by the way, mate, just a quick heads up for our listeners while, uh, just for fun. While we're recording this podcast, I got a message uh, from someone up at the house saying that the guy digging outside has hit a water main. So that's what I'm going to deal with when I finish this podcast, which is exciting. Uh, but I'm not digging my own holes, right? Well, maybe I should have because I got hit the water main, but you know what I'm saying. Um, so look, you know, there's times oh, where you should absolutely take control of your own stuff. You should be responsible for it for sure. But do you need an SMSF to do that? For most people, the answer is actually no. You know, like mm. Molly Full advises individual, to people by individual companies, but we don't say you need to have an SMSF to do it. If a member's direct option or something similar does it for you, knock yourself out. You know, don't make life more complex than it needs to be, right? Make it, as you said, mate, make it, just make it simple. Um, you know, the SMSF people will make their money trying to tell you to take control and play up to your ego and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, that's, that's, their, that's their bread and butter, right? Is it useful sometimes? Yeah, sure. Is it useful all the time? No. Should as many people have SMSFs? No. There should be fewer of them, frankly. Yeah. Um, and, and honestly, the ability to take a superannuation fund, which is in trust for my retirement, and screw it up by investing badly, I actually think there's a policy failing because honestly, people say, well, it's my money, I can do what I want with it. It's like, yeah, but you guys still want the pension if you make a mess of this. You know, it's, it's sort of a moral hazard, right? It's like, heads I win, heads I win, tiles to go on the pension. That sounds okay. Why would I not take the risk? Mm. It's, a, it's a very, very difficult combination to try and get your head around. I, um, the whole sorry. thing, sh the whole thing no. should be simple. I mean, super yes. is a wonderful concept. Yes. You know, and then the finance industry gets its dirty little yeah, fingers involved. Exactly. Milks oh, that baby totally, dry. Yeah. You totally. know, it just, and you know I mean, what? Yeah. It just, and it's such a non-productive component of our economy. You Correct. know, it's sort of like really, I, I, this is not strictly true, but I'd be very tempted mm -hmm. if I was king of Australia to say, <laughs> with super, you've got one choice. It's a broad-based yeah. yes. Yes. Uh, uh, equity. It just follows the market. Yep. You know, that's, that's the prosperity essentially of our, of yep. our, of our country. That's it. That's all you can do, you know? Um, 
you, you don't need all of these products and advisors and accountants and everything sort of around it. And just yep. it's basically become a tax haven for, for rich people. Unfortunately, it's been bastardized beyond all recognition. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, the amount of the literally billions of dollars that go into sort of administering something which really shouldn't be that hard. I'd probably actually tie it to our sovereign wealth fund, which yep, is basically, you know, that, that, that's it. It's one and that's the same. The default. Yep. That's yep. the default. That's it. You know, you don't have to invest in it if you, you any, any more than what's mandated above that. But 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 that's that's the go, right? And mm-hmm. it's a bet. It's a bet on a. It's a bet on our fair shared future prosperity. And I, I think that makes a lot more sense than you know having four negatively geared properties inside of it and you know squirreling away eight million dollars. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just it's just in it, it, it it's it's kind of sickening, really. It is, mate. With that. I'm going to go and try and fix my water main I'm problem. sorry, mate. I'm so I sorry know. to hear that. It's- How good is that? And then I'm going to go on holidays. But we hey. have got plenty of podcasts backed up for you. We will be publishing Good Law Willing in the Creeks Don't Rise every Friday and Sunday over the next four weeks. And then you and I, Ram, will be back to record some fresh episodes. By the way, I want to say fresh. Everything's fresh. It's all new. We're just going to, we've pre-recorded some so we can uh, give you some podcasty goodness from the <laughs> pre-recorded podcast machine. Freshness. <laughs> pre-recorded freshness. Well, it's still fresh. Fresh at the time of, of production, yes. First yeah. time around. It's, yeah, been, yeah. it's no. been kept fresh in the freezer and been brought out specially nice. for the first time ever. Anyway, I'm going holidays. Enjoy. If you want to follow me on Twitter, please feel free at TMFScottP or on Facebook at ScottPhillipsMoney. Uh, you'll get some holiday photos in the next few weeks. You can follow Ram on Twitter at Sage underscore Simeon or at StrawmanInvest. Until next time, full on. Cheers. The Motley Fool and people appearing in this program may have positions in the companies mentioned. General advice only. Please speak to your financial professional to understand how it may pertain to your situation. Subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash listener. The Motley Fool operates under Financial Services Licence 400691.